This is the emdocs.net podcast with Britt Long and Manny Singh. We bring you high-yield content about what you're seeing every day in the ED. Today on the emdocs.net podcast, we're looking at asplenia and hyposplenia. We often don't pay much attention to the spleen, but it plays a major role in the immune system and the hematologic system. Let's start with some definitions. Asplenia is the complete loss of the spleen's function. This might be anatomic or it could be functional. Anatomic asplenia means the spleen is no longer there. Functional asplenia means the spleen is there, but it's not working. Sickle cell disease is the classic situation for functional asplenia. Almost all patients with sickle cell disease are going to develop functional asplenia, usually by ages three to five years. Hyposplenism is a bit different. This is a partial loss of splenic function. That means it's there, it's kind of working, but the spleen is not fully functioning. We can see this in many different conditions. HIV, different malignancies, chronic liver disease, thalassemia, sarcoidosis, lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, many conditions. We'll have a table in the show notes showing these different diseases. With those definitions, let's get into how frequently we can see these patients in the ED. Over 1 million people in the U.S. are asplenic, and over 22,000 splenectomies are performed in the U.S. every year. Now, there are many reasons why the spleen is surgically removed. It could be for a severe traumatic splenic injury. It could be part as therapy for a hematologic or an immune system condition. As we've learned more about the spleen, what roles it plays, now there are more efforts to keep the spleen, especially in trauma patients. Now, the complications come back to what the spleen does. The spleen has a major role in the immune and hematologic system. When you look at what the spleen contains, it's made up of white pulp, red pulp, and the vascular system. All of the important work, all of those important functions occur in the white pulp and the red pulp. The white pulp is formed by lymphatic nodules with T cells that envelop B cells. If you recall from med school, B cells form antibodies. The spleen has the largest number of B cells in the body, so obviously it plays a big role in antibody production. The spleen also releases components of the alternate complement system, and it produces a large number of neutrophils, cytokines, natural killer cells, and serum opsonins, and these help remove harmful bacteria. The red pulp is different. This is an area that's formed by a tight network of sinusoids, lymphocytes, blood cells, and macrophages. This area's job is to filter and process cells within the serum. It removes those old blood cells, microparticles, and microorganisms. Now, this also has a big role to play in the immune system. This is the one area in the body that removes encapsulated organisms. This would be organisms like Streptococcus pneumonia, Haemophilus, Neisseria, Capnocytophagia, E. coli, and Pseudomonas. It's also the only location where non-opsonized bacteria are removed, and the spleen is the primary site of serum IgM antibody production. Real quick before I forget, just back to that cytokine production and the complement cascade. The spleen also helps regulate these two systems. Literature has found that asplenic patients have increased cytokine activity, they have more leukocytes, greater thrombin levels, higher platelet numbers, more active platelets, and higher hemoglobin levels. All of these factors increase the risk of thrombosis. There's also an increased risk of vasoconstriction, smooth muscle proliferation, and activation of platelets and endothelial cells in the pulmonary vasculature. This means the spleen can protect against elevated pulmonary vascular pressures and the development of pulmonary hypertension. At this point, you might be asking yourself, what do these patients know about their disease? 
Well, they undergo extensive education, and many of these complications come back to prevention. These patients receive a lot of education on what complications can occur, what they need to look out for, vaccines they need, and they're supposed to inform healthcare providers and wear a bracelet or have a card that states they have decreased or absent splenic function. There are three other ways beyond education that these patients can reduce the risk of complications, especially infection. The first is vaccines. They receive pneumococcal vaccines, the meningococcal vaccines, and the Haemophilus B conjugate vaccine. Second, they use prophylactic antibiotics, usually for those first couple of years after splenectomy. The final way they reduce the risk of bad outcomes from an infection is that they're supposed to have an emergency supply of antibiotics available at all times. They need to take this antibiotic if they have a fever or symptoms that suggest a systemic infection like chills or rigors. Once they've taken this antibiotic, then they're supposed to come to the ED for further evaluation. That brings us to our first complication, and that's going to be infection. When we look at the data, the risk of infection, sepsis, and mortality from infection is two to three-fold greater in a splenic patients compared to other patient populations. Pneumonia, meningitis, sepsis, all of these are more common in patients with asplenia or hyposplenia. If they do have an infection, they have a six times higher risk of subsequent infection for up to three years. The major infection we need to be on the lookout for in these patients is overwhelming post-splenectomy infection. It's also known as OPSI. These patients can be difficult to diagnose because they can present with nonspecific symptoms. Unfortunately, they can rapidly decompensate in hours and go into septic shock. The highest risk of OPSI is in those with anatomic asplenia, but it can also occur in patients with functional asplenia and hyposplenia. Strep pneumonia is the most common microbe associated with OPSI. Even with pneumococcal vaccinations, this accounts for about 40 to 80% of infections. Other organisms are going to be the encapsulated bacteria like Haemophilus, Neisseria, Capnocytophagia. There can be enteric organisms like E. coli and Staphylococcus aureus. You also need to think about Babesia, Plasmodium, and Bordetella. Particularly, Plasmodium can cause some major problems. If the patient lives in an endemic area for malaria, these patients are at higher risk for fulminant malaria. The annual frequency of OPSI in asplenia is around 0.5% or 1 in 200 patients, but it's the mortality rate that's the problem. This ranges from 10% at the lower end all the way up to 70%. It most commonly occurs within those first two years after splenectomy, but there are cases of severe infection 20 years after the surgery has been performed. The most common infections that are going to cause OPSI are pneumonia, UTI, bacteremia, spontaneous bacterial peritonitis, and meningitis. The other problem, besides the mortality, is that this isn't a straightforward diagnosis, especially if these patients present early. OPSI starts off with nonspecific symptoms like fevers, chills, rigors, myalgias, vomiting, diarrhea for those first couple days. This sounds like a viral infection, maybe gastroenteritis, the flu, COVID. That's why it's often misdiagnosed. After those first couple days, patients start to develop a rash, and then they decompensate very quickly. They develop hypotension, septic shock, DIC, ARDS, and multi-organ failure. They may have infections involving multiple organ systems like a concurrent pneumonia and UTI, or an infection that involves atypical sites like septic arthritis or a spinal epidural abscess. There's also a greater risk of adrenal hemorrhage and even purpurifulminins in patients with OPSI. When these patients come in, they have a fever, they look toxic, then you're going to want to do your standard workup for a patient with septic shock. 
obtain that CBC, electrolytes, renal and liver function, UA, lactate, and blood cultures. You should also obtain a fibrinogen and coagulation panel because these patients are at risk for DIC. A chest x-ray may show signs of pneumonia, and if you find evidence of meningitis based on your history and exam, then perform an LP. The key is to resuscitate and treat these patients while you're performing your workup. These patients need broad-spectrum antibiotics. You could use a later generation cephalosporin or carbapenem plus vancomycin. You could also use vancomycin with piperacillin tazobactam. If that patient has evidence of pneumonia, then add a typical coverage with azithromycin. If the patient has shock that's refractory to fluids and vasopressors, then give the patient stress-dose steroids like hydrocortisone. Remember, they're at risk for adrenal insufficiency because of that adrenal hemorrhage. What happens if that patient presents with a focal infection, but they otherwise look really well? Like they have a clear pneumonia on x-ray, they have a UTI, but they're afebrile, they have no systemic symptoms. You still need to be careful here. These patients are at very high risk for decompensation. Speaking with their hematologist and their primary care physician is a good idea here, and you need to have a low threshold to admit these patients. The patient may be appropriate for discharge if you can get rapid follow-up, their other physicians are on board, the patient is reliable, and they look well. There are some other important complications beyond infection. The next one is a vascular issue. Asplenic patients are at high risk of atherosclerosis, coronary artery disease, and arterial and venous thrombosis. That means we're going to see greater rates of stroke, limb ischemia, myocardial infarction, and vascular dementia. All of these complications are related to issues with platelet activation, red blood cells, and endothelial lining dysfunction and damage. Thrombotic issues could include a DVT, a PE, or a splenic or portal vein thrombosis. The incidence of VTE is anywhere between 10% and 37%. The risk of VTE is highest in patients undergoing surgery and resulting in an anatomic splenectomy, usually within those first couple years after the surgery has been performed. Thankfully, our assessment for VTE is no different in patients with asplenia compared to other patient populations. Ultrasound for DVT, and we're going to be using a CT for PE. If you're suspicious of a portal vein thrombosis, then your go-to imaging test is going to be a CT of the abdomen and pelvis with venous phase imaging. Management is also going to be no different. It's going to require anticoagulation. The final major complication is pulmonary hypertension. This is that group of diseases all due to elevated pulmonary arterial pressures. If it's left untreated, pulmonary hypertension leads to right ventricular dysfunction, right heart failure, shock, and ultimately death. The incidence of pulmonary hypertension in asplenia is anywhere between 8 and 11%. However, it is higher in patients with sickle cell disease or thalassemia and asplenia. It's present in up to 30% of these patients. Now, there is a classification system from the World Health Organization. They break it down into five groups. Asplenia is associated with three different groups. Group 1, group 4, and group 5. Group 1 is primary pulmonary hypertension. Group 4 is chronic thrombotic occlusion of the pulmonary circulation. And then finally, group 5 is unclear multifactorial etiologies. All this means is that we just don't have a clear understanding of the pathophysiology of pulmonary hypertension in these patients. We're not going to cover the evaluation and management of patients with pulmonary hypertension any further on this episode. For that, go take a look at episode 32, where I interviewed Rachel Bridwell. She lays out what you need to think about when you're evaluating and managing these patients. The key for us is to think about pulmonary hypertension when you're caring for that patient with asplenia or hyposplenia in the ED. 
Let's end with a brief set of take-home points. The spleen has major roles in the immune and hematologic systems. Asplenia is the anatomic or physiologic loss of splenic function. This can be due to several reasons like trauma or a hematologic disease. Both asplenia and hyposplenia increase the risk of severe complications like infection, arterial and venous thrombosis, and pulmonary hypertension. Fever in an asplenic patient and overwhelming postsplenectomy infection are medical emergencies with high mortality rates. These patients need emergent evaluation and management with resuscitation and broad-spectrum antibiotics. These patients are at also increased risk of arterial thrombosis, like coronary artery disease, and venous thrombosis like DVT, PE, and splenic and portal vein thrombosis. Management of these conditions is going to include anticoagulation. The final complication is pulmonary hypertension, which is associated with right ventricular dysfunction. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Stay safe and healthy, everyone.